Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. First, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word again. We don't come to this word without asking you to unlock the word to us. Lord Jesus, you are the key. Unlock the word to us this morning that we might see you in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Genesis 34, and Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her, lay with her, defiled her. His soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the damsel. He spake kindly unto the damsel, and Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, get me this damsel to wife. Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field. Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. The sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it. The men were grieved. They were very wroth because he had wrought folly in Israel and lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you give her him to wife. And make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, take our daughters unto you, and you shall dwell with us, the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade therein, and get you possessions therein. Shechem said unto her father and to her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes. What you shall say unto me I'll give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift. I will give, according as you shall say unto me. But give me the damsel to wife. Sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father deceitfully, and said, Because he had defiled Dinah their sister, And they said unto them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. But in this will we consent unto you. If you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, then we'll give our daughters unto you. We'll take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you'll not hearken to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, we will be gone. Their words please Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son, the man deferred. The young man deferred not to do the thing because he had delight in Jacob's daughter and he was more honorable than all the house of his father. Okay, now in our last study, you remember how we were looking here at Jacob's son. They were just red hot angry against Shechem and we saw that in their anger, they used the name of Israel to describe the family for the first time. This is the first time in the Bible that the name of Israel is actually used for family. So we want to just sort of overlook the fact that they were so angry when they did that because it's very significant that for the first time they've decided to call their family, their people by this name that was given to their father at Peniel when he wrestled with God. That name was not given to the sons, it was given to their father, it was revealed to their father, but it's obvious that their father 
spoke of this new name with great pleasure and happiness. So he revealed, in other words, he didn't keep it a secret that, oh, you know, look, I was given this name by God. He let it be known. And we can just imagine how Jacob in the morning after he, he got out of Peniel there uh, with his time alone with God, and he was saying, you know what? Something wonderful happened to me last night. I saw God. And when I saw God, I received a new name. That's the name of now. You guys ready for this? It's the name Israel. And something else happened there. You notice my new limp? I was broken. And, and I, now I got, but I got, it's okay. It was worth it because I got this great name, Prince with God. It's so much like a new believer who's so excited that he's become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that you can't hold him down. He can't wait to go tell his family, his friends, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You got a new name for me? I'm a Christian. And overlooking their anger, overlooking the anger of these sons, we can see how they, the, the, the sons of Jacob understood that with that new name of Israel came a new calling, a calling from God, be different from the people around you. And that's the way it is with Christians. You realize with a new Lord comes a new life. And the old life cannot be going on anymore, but things are different. So there's a great association between God and a people that is embedded in this name of Israel. It's a little bit of a mystery because what we see here is how the name of Israel refers now to the family of Jacob who, who after uh, Jacob's death, after Jacob's death, they will become known even by a new name, another new name, because they will now be known after he dies as the people of Judah, the people of Judah or Jewish people. See, it was Jacob who indicated to his family that the name of Israel, that came from God. And therefore his family was to become known as Israelites. And God revealed to Jacob, see, that's because God revealed that name Israel to Jacob. But God then revealed to Jacob that his name, the name of his people, as I said, was going to be Israel. And that was significant about this verse we're here in verse 7, because it shows for the first time Jacob's people adopt the name of Israel as their identity. And now Jacob's people are not only known by the name of Israel, this another Another, which is really a more common name today for Jacob's people, has been adopted. And this is the name also that God revealed to Jacob on his deathbed as he gave a basis for this new name when Jacob said in Genesis 49, Genesis 49, 8, it says when Jacob was, he saw Judah, he was going to give him the final blessing. And he says to Judah, thou art he. He says, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. So that's dominance. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. That's preeminence. Judah is a lion's well from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couches a lion as an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So that's united. So Jacob looked at Judah and he says, Yehuda Atah. He says, Judah, it's you, you, Judah. And, and Jacob told his family that God had just revealed to him that Shiloh was going to come through Judah. That's the Messiah. And when Jacob did that, he in essence gave his people the basis for a new name. 
the people of Judah, Jewish people. So just as the name of Israel was from, was from God revealed to Jacob, the people become known as the people of Israel, and so the name of Jewish or from Judah was also a revelation by God to Jacob on his deathbed, and the people become known as the people of Judah or the Jewish people. So great association between God and this people, and it's seen in these names. When God, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes to earth as a baby, and he has to flee, as we remember the history, he has to flee to Egypt, and what it's said about him in Matthew 2, it says that when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, when he was in Egypt, arise and take the young child and his, his, sorry, before he went there, and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, and this is the important part, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Israel have I called my son. Well, when you go back and you look at that prophecy that's referred to there, which is Hosea 11.1, 1, it says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So it's referring to Israel. So the association between the Lord Jesus Christ and the people of Israel is so great that the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as Israel in Matthew 2.15 and Hosea 11.1. The Lord Jesus Christ is called Israel. And the association between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Jewish people is so great that he's called the king of the Jews. It's a sign that was over his cross. So the people of Jacob and the Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ, are so closely associated that to bless the people of Jacob or to curse the people of Jacob is to bless the Lord or to curse the Lord, which helps us understand the promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. This isn't just about a people that God says, you know, I got a little special protection on you. This is a little closer to that. Because just as the Lord Jesus Christ is so closely associated with the Jewish people to view that what's done to them is being done to him. You know what he said? He said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. The same is true for us as believers, as seen in the Lord's first words to Saul, who became Paul, when he was persecuting Christians in Acts 9.4, And it says about him, he fell to the earth, he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou those Christians? (laughs) He didn't say that, did he? He said, why persecutest thou what? Me, me, that's amazing. That's amazing to us. The Lord is so closely associated with believers as to view what's done to them as being done to him. Now, we come in verse 8. And where it says, and Hamor communed with them, saying, the soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter, for I appear to give her, or her him to wife. Now, I read that, how Hamor communed. And the word commune, it really shows us a real special effort on Hamor's part. Commune, it just means that he just opened up his heart. You know, same word that he used in verse 8, same word he used in verse 6, he communed with Jacob, but the difference between verse six and verse eight is that in verse six, 
Hamor communes or opens his heart with Jacob. And now in verse 8, Hamor communes with them, meaning the sons of Jacob. So he opens his heart to them. But when we look at verses 6 and 8, we can see something good in Hamor. I mean, let's start with verse 6. What good do you see in verse 6 about Hamor? What can we say that's good about Hamor? We should say something good about him for a change. Okay, he's looking out for his son. That's good. He's looking out for his son. What else? He took the initiative to do what? Try to make it right or let's talk over the problem. You know, he didn't have to do this. You know, Hamar could have said, hey, look, you know, the young girls in my house, my people are stronger. My city is stronger. What's Jacob, another nomadic little family might makes right. If he wants her, let him come knocking. Let him come fighting. He could have taken, but we can say that because Hamer didn't do that, he loved peace. He was a peace-loving man. Now, verse eight, verse eight, what good can you see there in Hamer in verse eight, beyond what we already said? That's it. And it was good that he communed with them. And why was that hard for him to commune with them? Because they were, they were what? Well, they were angry. That certainly was it. Yeah, they were a lot younger than him. They were a lot younger than him. Yeah, they were probably in their 20s, you know, or less, 20 or less, really, because we were thinking that, you know, Reuben, my, Reuben was the oldest. But anyway, Hamor, as you said, he saw their looks. He saw their snarls. You know, and he could have said, this conversation has just ended. I don't care if you agree with me or not. We're taking her. I mean, in verse 8, we see how Hamor, he presents the situation to them. When he says, my soul longeth for your daughter. He, he said his son longed for Dinah. And he was talking to young guys. He was talking to, you know, guys that were his son's age or really probably even less young than his son. We don't know. But anyway... When he says, but, he, but he, again, he opens his heart. And when he says that his son longed for Dinah, he used a very important Hebrew word, chashak, he said. Now, by using this word, chashak, Hamar was describing what Dinah meant to Shechem. Chashak, it expresses a joining to. It's kind of like, a, it's a 100% word. It's like a 100% join to a certain person. It's like a clinging word. It's not the same word as the man clinging to his wife, but it expresses like this 100% clinging to a certain person. It just is, it expresses like, I get from this person 100% of my soul inspiration from this person, you know? I, you know I, it expresses this like, you know, I just need this person to be 100% available to me. You know, and, and that was Hamar what he was saying about his son when he used this word chashak. And, and so what Hamar is really saying about his son when he uses this word chashak, he's describing the relationship between you know, Shechem and Dinah here. And it's really, he's describing a problem. It's kind of going over the top here. It's a common problem in relationships today. Because people were created to have a chashak relationship with God. But, but, and, but people ignore God today, and they say, okay, this other person, this other human being is going to 
satisfy me, you know. The, and you can see this in the lyrics of songs, you know, like the hashak is an expression of finding 100% life and hope in another person. So, you know, so you have a song, you know, that with lyrics like, you're my soul and my heart's inspiration. You're all I got to get me by. You're my soul and my heart's inspiration. You know, without you, what good am I? And how can that be wrong when it's sung by somebody called the Righteous Brothers, you know? <laughs> so, you know, God is the only one who can satisfy the place of a person's soul and heart inspiration. Not another human being. And, and the 100% availability, you know, you just call out my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. You know, winter, spring, summer, and fall, all you got to do is call, I'll be there. You've got a friend. And so only the Lord Jesus Christ lives up to that claim of Proverbs 18.24. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's only the Lord Jesus Christ. But today, when a person looks at another human and says, Hashak, like Hamor said about his son Shechem in, in verse 8, my son Hashak for your daughter, it's a formula for disaster. And then Hamor comes right to the point in verse 8 when he says, I pray you give her him to wife. And he goes on in verses 9 and 10 and elaborates the proposal. Now, if you were Jacob and the sons, what do you want to hear from Hamar, but you're not getting it? You're not hearing it out of what Hamar said. What is it? There's no apology. There's no apology. You know, when Hamar speaks, there's no, I'm sorry for what my son did to your daughter. None of that. When Shechem speaks, there's no, I'm sorry what I did to your daughter. You know, the only substance of what Hamor is saying here is in verse 8. You know, I pray you give her him to wife. The only substance of what Shechem is saying here is in verse 12. Give me the damsel to wife. That's it. That's it. That's all they came to really say. They didn't come to say they're sorry. You know, I gotta, I'm sorry over what happened in the past. There's just this desire for what they want in the future. And for the family, that's a non-starter. That's just a non-starter. And in the same way, when a person comes to God without sorrow over the past, that's a non-starter. That's a non-starter with God. If a person doesn't really take to heart that they are a sinner and they have really offended God and they know that and they're really sorry to God, it's a non-starter with God. It doesn't go anywhere. It just as it was a non-starter for Hamer and Shechem with Jacob and his family here. There was no, I'm sorry. And there was no, there was no repentance, right? Now, sorrow is not the same as repentance. It's not. See, the Lord Jesus Christ did not say, unless you are sorry for your sin, you will perish. What he said was in Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So now, right now, this raises the question, okay, well, what's the difference? What exactly is repentance, and how is it different from being sorry? The Greek word for repentance is metaneo. Metaneo is made up of two words. Meta is change, like metamorphosis, change, and neo is mind. So the word really means a change in mind. Sorrow is not repentance, but there can be no repentance without sorrow. Sorrow is necessary for repentance. Sorrow comes before repentance, but sorrow is not repentance. Sorrow is the road to repentance, 
which can be seen in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, this different 2 Corinthians 7, 9, where it says, now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorrow after a godly manner that you might receive the damage by us and nothing. See, the Corinthians sorrowed to repentance. They went from sorrow to repentance. In other words, their sorrow led to repentance. The kind of sorrow that leads to repentance is described in 2 Corinthians 7.10. 2 Corinthians 7.10, which says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So now in this verse, we have two kinds of sorrows. We have the first sorrow that's called godly sorrow, and it leads to repentance, which leads to life, new life. But there's another sorrow, which is called the sorrow of the world, and that leads to death. That leads us to a question of, what is this godly sorrow that leads to repentance versus the sorrow of the world? We can see the sorrow of the world in Cain. Cain had just murdered his brother, and God told him what the consequences were in Genesis 4.10. He said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thine hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. That's what Cain fixated on, those last parts. When you till the ground, it shall not henceforth yield her fruit unto her strength, and you're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond. He had just heard, because he just murdered his brother, that he was cursed, and he's not going to have a good harvest, and he's going to be chased around like a fugitive and a vagabond. And he was very sorry about that. He was very sorry about the consequences, and so he comes right back to God, in Genesis 4.13, and Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, or from the face shall I be hid. I shall be a vagabond, a fugitive vagabond in the earth. It shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. So there's no talk about I shouldn't have killed my brother. There's no talk about, you know, that was really, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it again. He had no change of mind. He had no metaneo. He had no repentance about what he did. All he was sorry about were the consequences. He never said he was sorry for what he did. He never said, you know, if I had another chance, I would love Abel and not kill him. All Cain cared about was what he was going to have to endure in the future. I mean, God was waiting for Cain to change your mind about what you did. And God didn't see that change in Cain. So the most tragic words about Cain was not that he murdered Abel. The most tragic words about Cain are in verse 16 of Genesis 4, 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That's the tragedy. The greatest tragedy in a person's life is not the sins that they committed, but that they follow Cain and going away from God and saying, I'm finished with all this religion. You know, I'm finished with all church stuff. I want nothing to do with God. That's what's meant in Genesis 4, 16 when it says, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That's the greatest tragedy in a person's life. That when they don't run to God for mercy and for salvation for their sins, but they run away from God.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Then come celebrate Creation Day on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This is a Christian family festival event with games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, petting zoos, animal shows, super science experiments for kids, plus life-size dinosaurs at our brand-new Dinosaur Gardens exhibit, plus world-renowned speakers, Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, Jay Siegert, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements are free for your family and your entire church family. The Creation Earth History Museum is located off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. Bring your family and friends Saturday, November 5th and strengthen your faith at Creation Day, San Diego's Christian Family Festival event. For more information, call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org creationsd.org.